The wait is almost over. It will soon be the big day. All the plans are falling into place. Everything is proceeding just as it is supposed to. There's just a little more time to wait. But suddenly, there's a problem. It's not just a minor issue or nuisance or inconvenience, however. It's a great big whopper. It's a true show-stopper. It's a real jaw-dropper. It's the kind of thing that can ruin not only a wedding, but a life. Mary, Joseph's bride-to-be, is knocked up. You see, this might not cause much of a ruckus in our culture today, because premarital sex and other violations of the Sixth Commandment are not only commonplace, but they're even actively encouraged by the pagans all around us who influence us. And it's not just that sex is encouraged either, is it? We're certainly told by our society that it's perfectly okay to enjoy the pleasure of sexual acts without the love and responsibility of marriage, but it's more than that. We're also told that it's just fine to bring children into the world or to destroy them according to your whim, regardless of your marital status. We're indoctrinated by movies and television shows, by literature and by magazines and by all of those other things around us and all those things that we encounter every day to believe that it's all about what you, all about what you want, not what God has proclaimed. Have a kid? Don't have a kid, we're told. It's no big deal. Keep her or kill him. It's all up to you, they say. Have him without a spouse. Or if you'd want to, have him or her with a spouse or a partner of the same sex. And if you don't have the right plumbing to make it all work, or if that plumbing happens to be on the blink, just take out a nine-month lease and rent a body to have a baby. And then you too can have one of these very important cultural fashion accessories that carry your DNA and your smiling little mug. But sex and children are a big deal to God. They are gifts that he has provided to us, we who are created in his image and intended for faithful relationships. He intends that we might find great joy in that special intimacy of marriage and parenthood as he has ordained it. These gifts are meant to bind together those whom he has called together, male and female, as he created them. And the fact that we have denigrated and corrupted sex and childbearing does not make God wrong about it. Nor does it mean that any and all of our perversions of sex and parenting are normal or acceptable in his sight. Since the fall into sin, there are plenty of inclinations and actions in this world which are quite natural, but are also completely ungodly. Yes, they are natural, but only because they flow out of your hell-bent, defiant, and spiritually dead nature, your sinful nature. It's not because God made you that way. He didn't. In part, your sinful biological parents did, conceiving and birthing you in sin by their own damaged natures. 
and those in the world whom you have chosen to honor as your spiritual and your behavioral fathers and mothers made you that way too when you listen to them instead of to God. But that doesn't give you any excuse. You don't get to blame someone else to avoid condemnation for your own sins. Joseph understood this, for he knew and he accepted God's word when it came to marriage and sex. And so when he finds that his betrothed has a new life growing within her, he's got some deep, serious thinking to do. He knows that it's not his child, for he had not known her in the profound biblical sense that we understand the God-given blessing of intercourse entails. Joseph knew what God's law said about unfaithfulness. He could have taken this situation before the authorities and demanded justice. And according to Deuteronomy 22, the life of Mary and Jesus could then have been put in jeopardy if Joseph had wanted to press the issue. Adultery was punishable by stoning to death. And yet Joseph showed a deep concern for Mary. Who among us would have such a patient and charitable heart if confronted with the same heartache and disappointment? But Joseph was a righteous and just man, we are told. This meant that Joseph not only strove conscientiously to obey the divine and human laws, like everyone else, Joseph was far from perfect. But as a child of God, he had used the law of God as a rule by which to live his life, to express his thankfulness for God's blessings, and to show love to others. And we see Joseph's concern for Mary here in how he thought long and hard about what to do, both for Mary's sake and the child's. In that Mary and Joseph had not yet had the privilege of consummating their relationship, they were not technically married yet. But in their betrothal, in that formal and public declaration of their intent to become husband and wife, they were married in the eyes of God and their community. For Mary to have had sexual relations with another man would have been inconceivable, highly embarrassing, even scandalous. It seems to Joseph that there's only one proper and loving thing to do. The only way he can make this right without resulting in the application of swift and violent justice would be to divorce Mary quietly so that she can become betrothed to the father of her child and then marry him instead. How confused and hurt and betrayed Joseph must have felt. He was perplexed that Mary could have done such a thing. He was shocked to discover that she was now with child and that it was not his. Because of this, Joseph doubted his bride. He doubted his own self-worth. Perhaps he even doubted his God. And the same thing was happening here to Joseph that would later happen to John the Baptist in prison. He experienced a crisis of faith. But while Joseph was considering his options, an angel appeared to him in a dream and told him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And here we see how an angel, like all the faithful angels, served the Lord, even while he was still in utero. And Joseph knew and he believed the prophecies too. 
that one day the Messiah would be born to the line of David, his family line. But Joseph was taken back that this child which Mary carried was indeed the promised Messiah. Never in his wildest dreams did Joseph ever think that he would be the one who would be the provider and protector of the Christ. The message of God which the angel communicated to Joseph led him to reconsider his course of action. Joseph was not to follow his own logic or reason or even to apply rigidly the law of God as he understood it to read. The angel had first reminded Joseph that he was a son of David. It was implied in the very mention of those words that God's promise that the Savior was to come from David's line was an important facet of this message. The Messiah was coming. For this to happen according to God's will, Mary and Joseph needed to remain together as husband and wife. Through this dream, Joseph was prevented from jumping to any more erroneous conclusions about Mary that were based on his previously incomplete knowledge of the situation. He was now informed about the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit within her. Joseph's unbelief is overcome by divinely inspired messages from God. It is consistent with the Scriptures, not in opposition to them. And therefore, Joseph can safely comply with what the angel told him and what he had been instructed to do. He takes Mary as his wife, and he assumes the earthly paternity for Jesus. Soon, what had been a very tense and uncomfortable situation of what to do with a supposedly unfaithful wife now concludes with the birth of the Christ child. God himself has come to earth in the flesh, protected by his father through the word of the angel conveyed to Joseph. And Joseph fulfills God's command, naming the child Jesus as he has been instructed. Joseph not only remained faithful, patient, and chaste, he shows what it means to be a real man. He stands by the one he loves in the time of her need, taking on the role of earthly father and caring husband. Joseph, who once thought about divorcing Mary because of her supposed adultery, now embraces her and the child. What was it that caused Joseph to refrain from divorce? After all, it was well within his right to do so according to the Old Testament law. But if he had, it is possible that something terrible could have happened to her and the child, perhaps death by stoning, perhaps later death by neglect if she were divorced from Joseph and disowned by her family. No, all that prevented such a tragedy were the words and the power of the Holy Spirit, intervening in the life of Joseph and working faith so that God's will might be done. God provides Joseph with faith, hope, and love. And faith, hope, and love that come from God, they will always triumph over distrust, despair, and resentment. The child who was given to Joseph and Mary is the child given to you and me also. He is Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us, here in the flesh is true God and true man, living an earthly life. The Jesus of the New Testament is the counterpart of the Old Testament Joshua, which also means the Lord saves. And just as Joshua had led God's Old Testament people into the promised land of Canaan, Jesus came into the world to lead his followers into the new Canaan of heaven. 
Here for you is the true blessing of Christmas. It is not about receiving lots and lots of expensive or sophisticated presents. It is about receiving the one gift, Jesus Christ. It is not about receiving lots of Christmas cards, many of them with sappy, generic messages about enjoying life and family and friends and prosperity. No, it is not just primarily about the message which the angel proclaimed to Joseph, that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. No, it is the only about that message that Christmas is coming. Take out your hymnals, if you will. Turn to number 358. In this wonderful witness about the coming of Christ, entitled, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come, Martin Luther sums up what Jesus did for us. Take a look at stanza 8. You came to share my misery, that you might share your joy with me. Jesus came into this world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and protected by God, our Heavenly Father, and Joseph, his earthly father, because of our misery. And that misery is our sin. And he came to take away all sin from you, and from me, and from all people. Jesus came in the flesh to fulfill God's law, and to redeem you. He came to live a perfect life of obedience to all of God's commands so that he might be the one sinless sacrifice in your place. Some will say that Christmas is all about receiving. Others will follow the scripture's truth and wisdom that it is more blessed to give than to receive. But in its essence, Christmas is the distillation and also the focus of all creation and of all history. It is about God giving to us. Christmas is God giving us His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It is about God giving to us the Savior of humanity. It is about God graciously granting to each and every one of us the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God. It is the blessing of being seen through God's eyes as sinless, but only on account of the being and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. But Christmas is about receiving too. For we continue to receive grace upon grace, both physical and spiritual, from God every day. It is about receiving the greatest gift, the only gift that we ever could truly need. It is about receiving all that God has given to us. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, salvation. It is about receiving that gift of holy baptism, which saves us. It is about receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, which strengthens our faith and keeps us in the faith. It is about receiving the word of God preached to us, declaring that while we are indeed sinners, all of our sins have been forgiven. As we anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior, we focus on the message the angel gave to Joseph. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He will save his people from their sins. The Lord speaks His saving truth, which remains true even when all appearances point to the contrary. His word is sure. No matter the humiliation of the stall and the manger, 
The infant born to Mary is your God and your Savior. No matter the ordinary appearance of word and sacrament, they still deliver forgiveness, life, and salvation. No matter the whispers of the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh, your Savior declares you forgiven of all your sins. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. In His holy name, Amen.